Hey everyone, Lou Mavs here from the Music is Live podcast with a really important question. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get Music is Life off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I record an episode, how do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen, and how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is real simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means that you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Since I started my YouTube channel, I've been able to edit the audio on iMovie and then bump it to Anchor and distribute it on the podcast to everybody. And I still use Anchor to record audio-only podcasts. So if you always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Maz of the Music is Live podcast, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album vs. Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Schmackamagob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Bowl. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The right opinion for those who love politics. A South Park podcast called Suck My Balls. The Infinite Fringe. A watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido. Ex-Stradivarius guitarist, the Timo Tolki podcast. And the great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and The Laugh Cast. So check out RatSoundReview.com or search RatSoundReview on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network.
Music is Live podcast. This is your host, Lou Mavs. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musicislivepodcast.com. I am incredibly happy to have as my guest tonight a gentleman who is, I consider, a really sick freaking guitar player. I've been watching his uh, video clips on every social media that I possibly can. I saw one on YouTube today that I'd never seen before. He was doing some practically neoclassical stuff. I was like, you don't see a lot of hardcore bands do that. I'm incredibly impressed with this guitar player, and he is currently, among other bands, he is in the New York hardcore crossover legends, Marauder. I'm really happy to have, as my guest on the show tonight, guitarist Big Rob, Rob Castoria. Rob, thank you for being on the show tonight. Hey, you're welcome. Uh, it's an honor to be here. An honor? <laughs> I ain't Eddie Trunk, but thank you. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So as everyone who's watches the show before and they've seen me do, I'm a guitar player as well. So, of course, I gravitate towards other guitar players. So tonight is sort of not just getting to know what Rob is doing musically at the moment, but also talking guitars. I figure, you know, we had Damiano Christian from Sacred Oath on the show a couple of weeks ago. It was great having him on. So I wanted to bring Rob on so we could talk guitars. We could talk things that we like to talk about and just find out what he's doing musically. Because as I mentioned, Marauder is not his only band. And I want to use this platform for him to promote everything that he's doing, because especially now in New York, now that things with the pandemic are subsiding, it's time to get back to work. So... Rob's got stuff to promote, and I'm happy to be the platform that he wanted to come on to uh, discuss it. So thank you again for this opportunity. Definitely. So the big question, what got you started being a guitar player and what got you started with the hardcore scene? And also the fact that, you know, you're a well-versatile guitar player. I could definitely hear metal influences among other things in your playing. So I wanted to give you a chance to talk about that. So please, the floor is yours. Okay. Well, I always had a musical family. My grandmother played violin in an orchestra a long, long time ago. She told my mother she'd get kids to learn instruments. I have an older sister who plays piano, and I have a cousin who's a year older than me. She started playing piano. And originally, I wanted to play drums. A guy who worked at the school I went to in second grade told my mother he would give me drum lessons for free. And she wasn't really feeling it because of the noise, I guess. But I settled on guitar and I started playing when I was in third grade, which was 1977, maybe. I'm sorry. You do not look your age. <laughs> I'm 50. God damn it all to hell. <laughs> I'm 40. I look like shit. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we. I have my days, but maybe it's a fat friendly angle here. I don't know. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, keep up the good work, whatever you're doing. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> Thank you. So I started taking lessons at Peterson's House of Music on 102nd Street and Jamaica Avenue in Woodhaven. So you're from Queens originally. Yeah, Ozone Park. All right, uh, cool. Born and bred. Actually, I took lessons from uh, Kathy Serpico, who I still keep in touch with on social media. I did all kinds of sight reading and theory and playing melodies from books, like of old songs and Beatles songs and Led Zeppelin and, and all of that. We put on some recitals at the music school. It was cool. You know, we, we played like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. All the guitar players did it. And I got a silver medal for playing this song called Big Rock Candy Mountain. I don't even know what the original sounds like anymore. I, hit I don't one even think I've ever heard of that song. It's some old, I don't know if it's a folk song or, or something, but that was picked for me out of one of those thick books that have all these songs. I got a silver medal because I remember one note didn't come out clear. 
it, it was like blunted. So I didn't get the gold medal. I got a silver medal, but I'm happy. That what I think was in back in 1980, something like that. That was the year but, I was born, ladies and gentlemen. And then I did something that I don't think anybody can ever say that they've done in their life. In sixth grade, my class did a project for Earth Day. They sang a song about saving a whale to the tune of Stairway to Heaven. I played Stairway to Heaven on the guitar as my class sang, and we performed it at Lincoln Center in front of over a thousand people. And Jesus that was, Christ. Yeah, that was, uh, I, can we curse on here? Well, I almost shit myself because, <laughs> but um, it was a definitely a unique experience. But then, when I graduated sixth grade, I stopped playing guitar for for a couple of years until I got into high school. A couple of guys I knew from the neighborhood they were like jamming, playing like Motley Crue and Quiet Riot and stuff like that. And I wanted to play, but I wasn't that good at that. I was a little rusty with the sight reading, and then I started taking lessons. I took. I think three years of lessons from this guy. He was in Howard Beach. His name was Pete. He did a course that was in the guitar magazines called Mechanics of Metal. Um, it was like a mail order course. Oh, um, sort of like the old Doug Marks videos, right? Exactly. Yeah, but th these were like, you know, sheet music with cassettes and um, oh, like different okay. scales, modes, uh, theory, anything you want to learn to play like metal, he put it out there. I wound up getting into this band in 85 called Metal Storm. It was a local metal band from Ozone Park. Later on, there was one from Brooklyn. Those guys are the imposters. Just let you know. And I'll tell you how everything kind of syncs together with that. Remind <laughs> We started playing Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Motley Crue, stuff like that, all covers. We played our first show in like 86. And then we started playing Metallica, Manowar. Then we threw Slayer and Venom into our covers. Then we started writing our own music. I started getting into the hardcore music. Music. Like I got into DRI and the crumb suckers and all of that. So we did a seven seconds version of uh, 99 Red Balloons. We did Murphy's Law Crucial Barbecue, Cro-Mags World Peace. And we had originals now that were thrashy. We were playing like little clubs, little venues. And then we finally started playing the Sundance out in Bayshore, Long Island. We had some pretty good opportunities there. Like we opened for Death Angel, Dark Angel, DRI, Death, Sacred Reich, a bunch of bands that were pretty popular in the mid to late 80s. Did you and ever when, get to play like Lemoore East or Lemoore's in Brooklyn? No, no. I used to go there a lot. You know, I went to a lot of shows, but that's where that Brooklyn Metal Storm was playing. They were playing Lemoore's. We were playing the Sundance. I see. So we used to hang out on Rockaway Beach 116. Like that was like the meeting ground. Everybody hung out there. I remember somebody coming over to me and telling me, oh, the guys at Metal Storm said, you better change your name or they're going to kick your ass. And we were like 17 years old or 18 years old. I laughed. I was like, the fuck out of Needless to say, they never showed up. Then we got booked to open for Biohazard when their first album came out at the Sundance. That was the first hardcore band I ever got into. Oh, no, they're great dudes, man. We hung out. We met them at the beach. They, everybody hung out like before they got signed and everything. I don't speak to Evan. I don't know him. The other guys are really cool. The day of our show, our singer left the band. So we canceled. Kind of never got a singer again. So we just kind of broke up. Any reason as to why he did that? Yeah, a uh, girl he was with. Of course. She used to always screw with his head. And she was from the neighborhood. We knew her and kind of gave him an ultimatum that if he hung out with the band, she was going to break up with him. So he left the band, never talked to us and everything. So the band kind of fit. Oh, I hope you're having a nice life now, Yoko. <clears throat> it's better off because 
the way things fell into place, I'm a little happier now. I started bouncing at clubs. I cut my hair and I started hanging out with all different types of scenes, like rap scene and the guidos and bikers and everything. So I, I didn't really play guitar much from 91, 92 until about 96. I got into a hardcore band from the neighborhood called Fuse. for about a year. With my work, I was working for New York City Sanitation and I had to work nights and we had blizzards and all of that. So couldn't make practice much. So we um, kind of did mutual kind of separation. Like I left the band with, you know, on good terms, obviously. I remember the blizzard of January 96. Yeah. That was the first time ever where I, as a public school student, actually school was canceled. That was the first time ever. I worked, I think, 21 days straight, 12 hours a day during that blizzard. I was only on a job for about six months at the time. That is paying your dues, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a good way to get broken in. But after I left Fuse, I stopped playing guitar for about nine years. I didn't touch it. I just didn't play it. During this time, I bounced at a club called Sanctuary. It was a rock club in Middle Village, I think it was. Are we talking late 90s right now? That was early 90s. That was before Fuse. And then after Fuse, I was bouncing at strip clubs and I was hanging out in the rap scene and I didn't play guitar nine years until one of my friends took me to Duff's in Brooklyn, the little dive metal bar. And I ran into so many people that I haven't seen in years that I knew since I was a teenager that, you know, played in local bands and everything. I was like, you know, I want to do this again. I, you know, I have a few guitars. Uh, so I started playing again. I started playing more than I ever played in my life. I had some music written and I said, I want to record it. So I started a project called Maniac Rise. And it was like a thrash death metal project. I like the poster that you have behind you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maniac Rise, No Lives Matter. Is that Cthulhu on a human body? Yeah, that's one of our shirts. And No Lives Matter was our second EP title. And it was three months after we released it. Body Count, Ice-T there. He, he releases one with No Lives Matter. <laughs> we were saying that before it was cool. <laughs> what I would do was, to get my name back into a scene, I used to do shreds at shows between bands. For instance, the first one I did, I think, was in maybe 2012. There was a benefit for my friend Jessica Pimentel, and a bunch of bands played the benefit at St. Vitus. Jessica Pimentel, that, she's the actress, right, from Orange is the New Black? Yes, yes. Currently, I believe, engaged to Thomas from Meshuggah. 
Yes. Very cool. She sings in a band called Alakine's Gun. Yes, um, I've heard of them. I know them all for years. And they did a little benefit for Jessica back then. And you know, everybody wanted to contribute. So I was like, you know what? Let me do a guitar solo. And it was the first time I was on stage in a long time. And people seemed to like it. Like a month later, I got asked to play the one at Irving Plaza. It went on right after Stigma. There was a birthday party for our friend Wendy. And she booked all these bands. And I did one there. And then... People started asking me, you want to shred? You want to shred? You want to shred? I was like, okay. I started doing Bowery Ballroom, Mercury Lounge. Anywhere in the city, I practically did it. And so you were making a name for yourself doing these moments on stage where it's just you with your guitar, just for lack of a better term, melting faces no, is essentially what you were doing. Yeah, because I had my project in the works for Maniac Rise and I wanted to stay relevant. I didn't want to disappear for like a year or a year and a half or whatever, and then come out with something. This way, people were anticipating material that I was writing. I had six songs, two of which I used to play with my old band, Metal Storm. We wrote in 1986 and 1987. Two others that I wrote in like 91, 1990, and two that I wrote in 2012. It was a span of over like three decades, which was pretty cool. It's fast thrash with growling vocals, but you could hear the old school thrash. And then I love Coroner. So a couple of songs have like that Coroner influence. I love Coroner. I just got into them recently. We went over the entire discography on the other podcast that I co-host, Ratsaw Review. We went through not just the five albums, but also the demo EP with Tom Warrior on vocals. Holy shit. I mean, if they release that good of a demo, then that can only show you their musicianship with and with every progression of every album. Yeah. I got to ask, what's your favorite Coroner album? It's got to be a toss up between R.I.P. and Punishment for Decades. Seems to be the ones that most people go for. And those are great choices. I'm not going to lie. I like their last one the most, but I loved R.I.P. I thought R.I.P. I, was great. Yeah. And uh, actually to show like the influence it's almost, I don't even want to say, it's almost like a blatant ripoff. A song I have called Addiction, the intro is identical to Reborn Through Hate. Oh, uh, I got to hear uh, this. I love it. Yeah. I wrote all the music, all the lyrics to record this EP. I went to Stacey O'Dell. He had Riverfront Studios in Greenpoint. He programmed the drums and he did an amazing job. It sounds like an actual drummer. Originally, I played all the guitars, I played all the bass, and I originally was going to get a bunch of different singers to guest on the CD. Jessica Pimentel sang on one song. My friend Danny from Malignancy, he was like in Europe at the time. Sal from Sworn Enemy had house damage from Sandy, so he couldn't do it at the time. And then I was like, you know what? Let me do it. I'll try it. I never sang before on a CD or anything. It's cool that you're representing Sworn Enemy with the hat on. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. They're very good friends of mine. The original guys still live around the block for me, you know, but uh, I know them for many years. Always a fan. So you were saying that you were you decided to cut vocals for one of the songs? I did vocals for the rest of the EP. So it's on five songs. It's me and one song, Jessica Pimentel. And I did all the guitars, all the bass, wrote all the music, all the lyrics, and the drums were programmed. I released that. I had a couple of listening parties. Then I got musicians to form an actual band. I've heard it so many times. If you say, oh, I'm playing a band, I'm looking for a singer or I'm looking for a drummer or what kind of music you play. You could say, oh, I sound like death. But then the person will hear it and like that don't sound like that. You see things in different perspective. So what I did was I had a finished product. I said, this is what I have. So I want musicians that can play this and want to play this. 
And I got musicians, and unfortunately, I made the wrong choice for a singer, which I'm not going to get into, but we didn't get taken too seriously because I'm an idiot for having who I had. Before we played our first show, a friend of mine came up to me and asked me if I wanted to be a participant for a tribute to Tony Iommi. And I was like, okay, because he was diagnosed with cancer within a week. We went in the studio and recorded a version of his song called Time Is Mine on his solo record. With Phil Anselmo on vocals, yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. Iommi's the riff lord. You can't get any better than that. Oh, he's he's the godfather. Absolutely. Godfather of metal. We did Time Is Mine. We recorded it quick. And like I said, the bad choice of vocalist, if you want to call it that, that I had, instead of singing it like Phil Anselmo, he kind of whispered the words. I mean, it kind of came out cool, but we did it really quick. There's a double record that was released called The Great Lefty, and we were song two, CD one. I just found that on Apple Music. You are on that? Yeah, Maniac Rise. We do Time is Mine. Oh, my God. All right. I have something to look forward to after our interview ends. It was cool. We actually shot a video for it also. From the lyrics, I think Time is Mine has something to do with drugs. We did this weird video. We were at the closed down mental hospital there. I think it's in Kings Park. Oh, yeah. I know some people who've done B&Es there. You're allowed to walk around the grounds, but you can't go in the actual building. On here, I thought I was cool because I actually did a real B&E. Never mind. Oh, (laughs) we went there and we had this whole thing planned out of what we were going to do for this video. But we went in the building and within two minutes, police or whatever told us, get out. And they said, you could stay on the ground. So we wound up filming on the grounds. It was kind of like we were stalking this girl. She gets killed at the end of the video or something. I don't think it has anything to do with what the song is actually about, but that's what we did for the video. (laughs) It's on YouTube. And remember, people, don't get offended, okay? It's just a music video. It's acting, acting, okay? Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) too many offensive things being said. (laughs) I live to offend. I do not care. Anyways, but... uh, In here. Let me ask you, so, so the so the police didn't want you recording in the building, but they were okay with you being on the grounds to film. Yes. They didn't bother you guys for a permit or anything? No. Oh, that's great. All right, cool. Yeah, they just told us, they said, I don't know if it was Parks Department security or, or whatever, but there was a guy who worked for the grounds and a guy who was dressed like a cop. And they told us, you got to get out of the building immediately. Like, okay. Because they said, this is the police. You have to go. So we came out and they told us, you can't go in there. They said, you can walk around and that's it. So yeah, we filmed the video and then we did a video release show at Lit Lounge. I think it was around Halloween of 2015. It was like an underground video release and it was cool. Then we did another EP called uh, No Lives Matter. Joey Z from Life of Agony produced it and uh, mixed it and mastered it and everything. Where was the work done? Joey has, he calls it the Nest Studio at his house. The drums were done, I want to say Port Jefferson. It was some big house up in the woods. I think we had eight or nine hours for the day. You you booked the day or something like that. And they did all the drums. You want something from the store, they have runners to go get it for you. It was pretty cool. I did a lot of guest work on CDs. My friend Dave has a band called Blood of My Brothers. And he did a song called Mother's Day. I did two leads on that song. That was done by Joe Kinkata, uh, Full Force out in Suffolk County. My friends have a band called Space Beard. Oh, are we talking Pete LaRussa? Yes, Pete. Pete LaRussa, formerly of No Redeeming Social Value. Yeah, actually, in Space Beard, Pete plays guitar and sings. I did a show with him in Space Beard and with uh, Sez from District 9 when he was in Nova Says Everything. Oh, okay. At, at the time, I was in a Rush tribute band called Snakes and Arrows. I played bass and keyboards. And oh, nice. Kevin Castle booked a show at Blackthorn 51, and it was the three of us. 
And I got to meet them. My friend Pete Maggs was their drummer. When I was in Metal Storm back in the day, Pete was our bass player. Me and Pete grew up together. Holy shit, small world. Their last album they released, I played a lead on Wishmaster, and I did a shred on the intro of, I think it's called Eskew. So I did two leads on their CD. Um, Jerry Farley produced it, and that CD was actually recorded. It was pretty cool also at... They said it was Steven Seagal's old house in Staten Island. Like a, <laughs> like a mansion overlooking the water on a dead end. It was a pretty nice setup over there. I hear Steven Seagal's name. I just think of Aikido. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I hear his name. I think of bad acting. <laughs> oh, that too. That too. Oh, man. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, also, there's CDs called Classics versus Classics. A bunch of guys from the hardcore scene get together and cover different songs. I did a guest on Volume 2. I did a lead for the cover of uh, Biohazard Urban Discipline. We did our CD release for No Lives Matter at Webster Hall, and it was a great show. Maybe a month or two after that, we played like one more show and then got rid of my singer, finally. Congratulations. And- <laughs> <laughs> And I wanted to play and sing at the same time, but it would take me too long to learn it. It's not an easy feat. It's not, especially when you're playing complicated music. Like, I don't even know how some bands get away with it, like Cynic. I have no idea. Chuck Schuldner, too. I mean, he was years ahead of his time, but I couldn't. Yes, I couldn't play and sing my stuff at the same time. So we wound up playing a couple of shows instrumentally. The guys who were in the band, they didn't care. It got frustrating because I could sit there. And I'll give you an example of how you know somebody doesn't care. One guy lived two blocks from the studio, and he was like 40 minutes late every time in rehearsal. Yeah, also, that's a tale. Yeah, definitely. And then it's like they just sit there scrolling on the phone, and I'll be like, yo, I wrote this new riff. Let me know what you think. But no matter what I played, oh, yo, it's good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I could have played Slayer, Rain and Blood, and they would have been like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. Let's, let's do it. I'm sorry. Indifference is worse than hating something. And, yeah, you know, I, I can think of no greater disrespect to a musician than someone's indifference. I even wrote a new song after that EP called Slaughterhouse. My bassist was just like, oh, well, I don't know. I guess, well, maybe you could play bass on it since you're going to Joey's house to record it. You know, wouldn't that be easier? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it'll be easier. I'll do it. They did the drums. I played the bass. I played the guitars. And I actually sang on that one, too. And um, I'm sorry. I don't get it. Why be in the band if you're not going to contribute? I mean, I it's, di- it's, it's different if, like, you were sole owner of the band. And you're like, okay, you're getting uh, 50 bucks a show. You're getting, you know, $100 a week or whatever. That's different. But if they're in a band with you, I'm sorry. They got to contribute. That's fucked up. Yeah, it is. About four and a half years I wasted with people that weren't dedicated. I mean, we were friends, you know, on a personal level, we were friends and I really don't have any hatred toward them except the singer. Like I'll give you an example. I tech for Life of Agony. We were trying to get a rehearsal for Maniac Rise. Nobody was, oh, I'm working, I'm working. I can't do it. I have no money. I can't do it. I teched a few shows for Life of Agony on one-offs and then I get a call to jam with Marauder. This is the beginning of... 2018, I think. So I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to definitely do it. 
when I was talking to Jorge, he was like, you know, I asked around about guitar playing and everybody I asked recommended you. I said, oh, that's cool. So I'm down to do it. So basically I had to learn Master Killer CD and couldn't get a practice with Maniac Rise. So I was just like, all right, whatever. Then I got hired to do a tour with Life of Agony for maybe about two and a half weeks. We were on the road and I was going to tech for them. So I brought a guitar and a practice amp on the road. So on my time off, I was practicing the Master Killer CD because previous to the tour, I got together my drummer, Jamin, two or three times, just me and him to get some songs together. Then I left for the tour. And then it turns out when we return a week after we got back from tour, Marauder's first show was actually at a festival in Binghamton with Life of Agony. Oh, there's but- footage of that on YouTube, right? There's it looks yeah. like a, it almost looks like a rundown skate park. It's an indoor skate park. Yeah. It's, okay. Uh, I meant no insult by calling it run down. I mean, it looked, it looked awesome. No, like, it was cool. It, it, it was cool. It, you know, the way they had the half pipe and they built the stage. I mean, the stage was a little small. There was a lot of people on the stage. I know. Uh, Nina was killing it on that stage. The crowd was fucking great, man. Everybody got a good reception. There was so many bands that played. It was like two days, I think. And I remember it was Billy Club Sandwich, Us, Trapped Under Ice, and then Life, to, Life of Agony headlined. But there were about six or seven bands on before us. That was my first show with Marauder. So when I got back from tour, we had one full band rehearsal before that first show. It went over well. I mean, we I think we played pretty well. I still didn't hear from the guys at Maniac Rise. Not even a hello, not even a how you doing. We started playing here and there with Marauder. I was like, you know what? Forget about Maniac Rise. Uh, I still haven't heard from the guys now, three and a half years later. Not even a like of a pick or a message or a text. I unfriended them on, on social media. I don't care. You know, it's better off. Now I just doing my thing with Marauder. I have some side projects I'm working on. I'm doing uh, instrumental stuff. One song I, I did four years ago, it's actually on YouTube also, calling it Big Rob Empire. And the song's called Speak and Be Heard. Joey Z, he's my go-to guy for recording. And it's an instrumental and it's like uh, old school Ingve type song i only interview the best people just remember that (laughs) and i'm actually getting my ass kicked now because i'm writing another one that's along the lines of like a john petrucci paul gilbert nuno bentecourt type thing so geez oh my god (laughs) it might be about a decade before that comes out because you had me at paul gilbert sir (laughs) he's a machine and john petrucci's an uh, an alien a very big bearded alien hell of a nice guy though paul gilbert nice guy too i got the pleasure of meeting them a couple of times and they were really laid back dudes so i'm writing some instrumental stuff i'm gonna start jamming with jay from moment of truth his guitar player and our friend frank used to play drums in backslap supposed to get together and jam and just come up with some just heavy shit like almost like all-out war marauder maybe like god is i era heavy fucking metalcore i just call it good music it sounds good to me all right yeah there's too many genres anything you could write core after somebody's gonna call it you know like emo core screamo core metal core your mom's a whore core i don't know it's just got to a point it's ridiculous it's like oh that's death core no that's not death core dude that's that's slam core or whatever like shut the fuck up i don't even know what slam is could someone explain that to me please I love the punk rock NBA. I love watching Finn, Finn McKenty's stuff. But, you know, like one of the videos he has, when did Slam die? I'm like, what the fuck is Slam? Slam is when people used to actually run into each other in the pit, you know, and uh, 
And then Scott Ian gave it that mosh. He calls it moshing. I don't know what the fuck that means, but it's a stupid word if you ask me. But people used to slam. We used to say our slam. And then now we laugh. Everybody does that beat down shit. They throw in kicks and swinging their arms. The windmills and the pickup change. Yes. We were calling the pit ballet. <laughs> Fighting off swarms of bees or whatever. But that, no, that's cool, man. You know, that's what they do now. In the 80s, we did the two-step Swinging your arms, jumping back and forth. The pogo, yeah, of course. And just running and jumping into people. Even now, like they say, wall of death. People like go side to side and run at each other. When someone says wall of death to me, it's from the 80s, Murphy's Law, their song Wall of Death. You're looking at the stage and then everybody locks arms and they make a line and they back up and they push the crowd as far back as they can. And then they just charge with their arms locked at the people that are in the front and you jump into them. That was a wall of death. And like when people say, oh, crowd surfing, I mean, I guess all the the terms change over the years. We used to say, yo, I'm going up. Yeah, going up, stage diving, crowd. I guess every generation has like its own terminology for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm old school and I'm just like, all right, I'm going up. You go up. There you go. (laughs) That's why one of the other projects I'm doing, my friend Morgan, they call him Super Morgan. He used to sing in uh, Super Villain. He's in Snake Canyon. He had a bunch of other projects. A very good friend of mine. We're going to do a project. I Tentatively, I think we're going to call it 718. It's going to be like old school hardcore. Not growling vocals, not beatdowns and heavy guitars. It's going to be like listening to the first AF album or DRI dealing with it. Two-minute songs, be like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, breakdown, end, or you know stuff like that. Very simple. When you're ready to release it, please consider this an open invitation to uh, come discuss it. Oh, I definitely will. And we, we're looking into having some very special guests on bass and drums, which I don't want to speculate because it's not nothing cemented yet. It'd definitely be pretty cool. But yeah, other than that, I want to just keep playing. I want to tour again. I want to write more music. You know, there's nothing else really to discuss other than that, you know. That's the reason why I asked you to come on the show because I heard what you were putting out there and I really wanted to promote what you're doing. After having had this conversation with you, I'm glad that we did because now I realize there's more to you than just being a guitar player, your journey to get from there to here, I got to admit, it's its impressive as hell. You haven't even scratched the surface. No, and I, I'm not at the place I should be at this point in life playing-wise. You know, I stopped playing for nine years. I stopped playing for two years. I used to practice a lot. Now I, I do it whenever I can. I, you know, I, I run around a lot and everything, but I try and play as much as possible. I was taking lessons from my friend Ron recently. Ron is like the best guitar player that I know. He makes his living playing guitar, session player. He's played for a lot of big names, recorded a lot of things. I know him since, you know, I was a teenager. He used to live in my neighborhood. He would teach me a lot of stuff. The one thing that's funny, though, I would go to his house for a lesson and I can't play in front of him. But when he leaves the room, I play. And then when he comes back, I can't. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I mean, I'm no psychologist. For guys like us who, even with our experience and our talents, we want to grow more. We want to learn more. We're not in competition with this guitar player, that guitar player. We're in competition with ourselves to improve. And when you're in front of someone you respect, sometimes you can't help but feel that intimidation factor. It's normal. And there's nothing wrong with it. And Ron's not the type of guy that's going to... Like, I remember when I was a younger kid, you go to Sam Ash and you want to try out a guitar and the jerk off who works there has got to play 
for 10 minutes before he gives you the guitar and he's trying to show you how good he is. Yeah. Ron's, Ron's not like that. He's a great dude. You know, he's a good friend of mine and everything. I don't know what it is. Maybe I feel as though it's like if I play something, I don't want to hit a bad note because he'll know it. He doesn't go out of his way to make me feel uncomfortable. It's, I guess, something psychological on my part, but I can't play. I've played shows in front of a lot of people. I've played all over the country. I've played in Japan. I could interact with the crowd fine. I, I have no problem being on stage, but one-on-one, like I could tell my girl too. I'll tell her, baby, listen, I wrote something. I want you to hear it, or I'm practicing this lead or something. She sits there and listens. It's almost like stage fright when you're playing one-on-one with somebody. It's very, very strange. For the most part, I don't want to hit a bad note because I said that I made progress and I said that I'm working on something. Meanwhile, I play a full house at Irving Plaza, just me, and everybody is looking at me. Like, if you go see a band, you're not just concentrating on a guitar player. You're going to look at the drummer or you're going to look at the bass player, the singer, whatever. You know, your attention is going to be diverted at times throughout the show. But if I'm just standing there doing a five, six minute guitar shred, everybody's looking at me because I'm the only person on the stage. No problem with that. It's just if I'm in my house or, you know, friend's house, one on one, I'd have to sit a while and then, you know, like uh, loosen up. It's weird. Having played a bunch of gigs myself, you're going to flub a note here and there. I just tell myself, I said, all right, you fucked up. You noticed. Hopefully nobody else did. And if they did, so what? You know, Only the guitar players notice because they're like, ah, they go like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you know who plays guitar in the crowd because they're like, ah, I hear you. That's why like, I tell some of my guitar player friends, I'm like, hey, I'm playing a gig tonight. Do me a favor. Stay home. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of guitars, though, one thing I appreciate about your social media pages, I definitely see a huge affinity for Jackson guitars. Yeah. So Jackson's like your main brand? Yeah. I mean, I have a bunch of guitars. I have Dean, Schechter, ESP, Charvel, Fender, and BC Rich. I think they all play great. I love all those guitars I have, but my favorite are Jackson's. That's all I play with Marauder, and that's all I'll go on tour with. I'm working on, a, you know, to get an endorsement deal with them. I think they look cool, and they play great for me. I hear you. I own a Jackson as well. I have the Adrian Smith quilt top, the green one. I absolutely love it. It's got 22 frets on it. It's got the single coil configuration in the neck, in the middle with a humbucker by the bridge. Mm -hmm. It's a Floyd Rose bridge, but it's not the one that's uh, pocketed. It's one that's on top of the body. So I was able to put an EVH detuna in there. So if I ever need to go to drop D, boom, there you go. I have a drop tune pedal also. It's actually pretty pretty good <laughs> the jacksons i just feel like the neck on it feels great the body mm-hmm. weight oh, it's comfortable they're so versatile i feel like you could practically play anything on them yeah definitely and also i had a les paul i got rid of les paul's play cool they're nice i just don't like the look for the music i play you know what i mean my girl had bought me as a gift an ingve fender strat oh with scalp- the scalp necks yeah that thing's amazing I-, I love that guitar but i'm not gonna play a live marauder gig with it you know what no, i mean i don't think you could <laughs> 
<laughs> it, you know, it's not the guitar for that. You know, I have an 84 San Dimas Charvel, which plays amazing. And I use that in a lot of my YouTube videos where I just do the shreds. That guitar was great, but I don't want to use it for Marauder. I just like Jackson's. In a Jackson, I use Seymour Duncan SH6 Mayhem pickups. And that's for the hardtails. If you have a locking system, it's got the spacing. It's a little bit different for the pickups. For the locking system, they're called Trembuckers. They give me a great sound. I love Mesa Boogie with those pickups and the Jackson. And we tune to uh, C standard. I could go straight through the amp. I don't need overdrive. I don't need effects. I don't need much. For what I'm doing, I think that's the perfect setup. I would say so. The Jackson through the Mesa. Yeah, uh, me. Dual or triple rectifiers? Uh, dual. They told us when we went to Japan, they said, what kind of amps do you want? I went with a dual rec. And my other guitarist, who's usually a Mesa guy, went with, I believe it was the EVH or the 6505. I, I don't remember. I think it was EVH. And they're both great amps, but blended together sounded really good. You know, like with the with me on this side and him on that side, and the two different amps sounded good. Our back line was set for us, which was cool. This is in Japan you're talking about? Yeah. They had everything there for us. I brought this little adapter for like my cell phone and stuff like that. It was like 13 bucks on Amazon. It's an adapter for any type of electricity, any prongs, yeah. any inputs or whatever. So, you know, I made sure I got that so I didn't burn out my phone or anything like that but i have the same type of adapters for the amps and everything because there were a lot of american bands on some of the shows we played in japan we did i think three big festivals and there were a bunch of bands from the states i doubt they brought all their equipment it would probably cost a fortune oh, whatever, yeah. and insurance and all of that crap. So basically one back line could do a whole festival. It's not a bad day, you know? No, not at all. Hey, all, I just wanted to interject real quick because the next line of questioning actually pertains to Jorge from Marauder, the lead vocalist of the band that Rob is in. Jorge is one of the most outspoken voices in hardcore because he's honest and he makes no bones about it. So he has a lot of haters. They don't like it when the truth is confronted to them in person. The next question pertains to defense of Jorge. Not that he needs defense, but it validates the reason why he is how he is and how he should never be apologetic about it. Back to the question, just wanted to throw that out there for context. This is a bandmate of Jorge's in defense of Jorge. For anyone who wants to talk shit about him in the past, drop it. Because there's more people who support and believe in what Jorge is doing than there are who don't. Just wanted to get that out there. Enjoy. Playing with Jorge, it would probably be inspiring because of what's right. It must also be fun as hell. I know that he is definitely one of the personalities of hardcore that people have identified with. I also know that he definitely has a group of haters out there, which I don't understand why. I don't want to call him polarizing. It's kind of unfortunate that once again, people feel the need to like hate on someone that they don't know. And I just never understood why that was directed towards him. Well, he's, he's definitely a character. He's funny as hell. No matter where you go in life, there's going to be people that don't like you, people that talk shit about you. Now, he's very outspoken. So if he feels a certain way, he's going to say it. And then, you know, some people might not agree with him. He's entitled he, to his opinion. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've always said that singers are characters. They definitely are. But me and him lost touch for a few months. Like, we weren't doing anything musically or whatever. Just lost touch for a couple of months. And then, like, the pandemic and all that shit. And then I went to his house for his birthday. It was like a cookout and everything like that. And it's like we didn't lose a day. You know, we were laughing our asses off or whatever, hanging out. You know, I traveled the country with him. I traveled Japan with him. No matter, not just him, but no matter 
who you travel for an extensive period of time with. There's going to be days where you don't want to be bothered or days you're in a bad mood or whatever. You have all these different personalities in one sprinter going across the country. You know, sometimes people uh, argue or whatever. Sometimes people are pissed off. Like you said, people talk shit that they know nothing about. When people direct hatred toward him that don't even know him, it's ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Everybody has their moments. Everybody can be a pain in the ass or everybody, you know, it's it's life. He's definitely well-known. He's definitely well-respected, definitely well-liked in the, in the scene. He's been around for a long time. He got an amazing voice. There's no two ways about it. He's a great singer. Uh, uh, for me, he was one of the first voices that I heard that made me say, I love hardcore music. The moment I first heard Find My Way, I was hooked. And that's not even on Master Killer. That's on uh, Five Deadly Venoms. He used to get mad at me. I was like, oh, that reminds me of a Pantera song. You kind of sound like Phil Anselmo. Like, oh, fuck him. Yo, he's <laughs> <laughs> we still play that one live. We still play Find My Way live. Great song, you know? And yeah. over the years, you know, sometimes like people... Like they lose their ability over the years. Jorge's voice is powerful as shit, man. Yeah, so, he never uh, lost it. No, no. As far as powerful, it's great. You know, he's got a great voice. Yeah, I saw some live footage of him on YouTube that was filmed semi-recently, like definitely right before the pandemic hit. Dude did not skip a beat. He did not he did not miss anything. I mean, he still got it. I think it's great that he's around. I think it's great that Marauder's around. I'm glad you're in it. Gives me reason to say, hey, I know that guy. So (laughs) I'm happy to be in it. It's funny because I was a fan of Marauder. I remember buying Master Killer album back in the day. And I listened to it and it's good stuff. And I'm like, oh, uh, Dead End Path. Some of the riffs sound like Slayerish and this and that. And, you know, as the years go by, oh, I became friends with Jorge. And, you know, what I was getting at with Metal Storm earlier. Yeah. The guitar player from Metal Storm, Anthony, is the original guitarist in Marauder. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. That was the first cough take ever in the history of music is life. Yeah, so the guy from Metal Storm that wanted this Metal Storm not to use the name actually went on to play Marauder. Now I play Marauder. And they took our job. Saab, too, rest in peace. We were talking about this in Japan. I have the same birthday as Saab. And both guitar players of Marauder, Rob, Saab, you know, we were just we were talking about it. It was weird. It's like six degrees of separation type mm-hmm. coincidences, uh, whatever you want to call it. Being a fan and then meeting the guys and then being asked to join the band, it's cool. The same thing like with Life of Agony. I was a fan. Like I liked the music and then became friends and I started helping them out at shows here and there. Like just, oh, you, you need a hand, I'll help you. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. All right. And then I officially got hired to tour with them as their tech. They got to be the best group of people that I've ever worked for. They're all cool. They're all my friends. And there's no bullshit rock star diva fucking ego shit going on. They're just a pleasure to work with. And it's great. Life of Agony as a teenager meant the world to me. Them and Typo Negative. When I first heard River Runs Red, I came from a working class background in Astoria, Queens. Family unit was together. My mom, my dad, my two brothers and I. My parents, God bless them, they did the best they could. Try to raise three crazy gorillas like my brothers and I and when you enter your teenage years you start feeling things that you never felt before and Life of Agony's River Runs Red was an album that helped me through a lot of shit. That's a band that I as a fan am very grateful for. Joey's one of my favorite guitar players. I even love the stuff that he did with Stereo Mud. Dyer's War he did also was really good too. Played a few shows and he was actually playing and singing. It was like heavy maybe a little slower but heavy 
like really heavy stuff and it was good stuff i'm really happy that they got veronica in the band she's killing it on drums oh uh, she's great yeah. she's funny when we're driving on tour we always sit next to each other in the in the sprinter she, she's my tour buddy we're always talking shit or whatever but like i said she's a great fit she's got some really good chops and she's a cool person too you know yeah. it's not now she's playing with yeah. dmc and the hellraisers as well which is great i mean yeah. king of rock right there yeah no that's definitely cool it's yeah. definitely I loved the videos that she was doing with Doyle Wolfgang von Frankenstein the uh, hey Doyle hey Doyle <laughs> why does the devil constantly buy new shoes he loves collecting new souls <laughs> hey Doyle <laughs> who is Swamp Thing's celebrity crush Kate Moss <laughs> videos yeah, I was looking forward to that also because we were supposed to do a tour from, I think, New York to Florida and back with Doyle. The day before we left, they canceled it because of the pandemic. Damn. So I was like, ah. But I think that was going to be volume two of Hey Doyle, I, I think, because they did most of it in Europe. Yeah. Uh, she was, even did uh, an Instagram thing where she posted, she said, send me jokes to say to Doyle. And she said, as long as it weren't like, you know, racist or de- defamatory or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah. hey, it's fair enough. I tried to think of something. I was just like, no, that's not that funny. And next thing you know, tours canceled, which sucked because that yeah, would have been a great to see a volume two. Yeah, I was definitely looking forward to some of that. Joey's got like one of the best sounds that I've mm-hmm. ever heard. It's I, tone. It's solid tone. Yeah, you know, he's my friend and I work for the guy. I still don't know how the fuck he gets the sounds. Like he has <laughs> two uh, maces that he blends and he has this and that. And instead of the four, like two full stacks, he puts the cabinets across, like on one level. So there's four across instead of two and two. And he told me, you know, he, he knows how to do all that. He went, to, you know, obviously he's a sound engineer and all of that stuff. The bottom line is, you got to keep just like tweaking stuff and experimenting and trying something. People send him pedals, say, oh, you know, can you, you want to use this? You want to try this pedal or whatever? And he'll try it and say, oh, wow, this works well, or this one works better. It's cool. You start tweaking your sound and you come up with stuff that you didn't have before and it, it, you advance a little more. Yeah, I know that Alan Robert is practically the primary songwriter for Life of Agony, but the way Mina delivers the lyrics, she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Mina's got a great voice. I think that no matter who writes more, they all put in their own equal effort yeah their effort yeah and it, the blend of it comes even a better product that's what i think held me back a little bit with maniac rise all the music i wrote nobody contributed shit except the jerk off singer wrote lyrics to three songs and they're terrible lyrics you know i used to like what he wrote i was like oh it's different it's you know about horror and gore and was kind of cool but then i look step out and you look back and you're like this is garbage i want to re-release maniac rise and i want to get rid of the vocals and get new vocals and new lyrics i didn't have any contributions to writing so you know like even now with marauder stuff we're writing if i come up with something i'll bring it to rehearsal and be like, yo i wrote this what do you and i think it's wow, wow this is great but then the other guys will be like no 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 maybe maybe do this maybe do that and we build on it and you get something you know a bigger foundation and you get more of a band effort than just me writing shit you know everybody yeah. puts and then we present it to jorge he obviously has the final word because it is his band it's been his you know his band for a long time and i've only been in it three and a half years so i'm not saying i'm not booking us any shows you know we have that taken care of i'm not saying oh well we're gonna do this we're gonna do that we're gonna no it's like you point me in the direction i play my guitar and that's good 
I'm happy with not having that pressure on me like I did in Maniac Rise. Like if I didn't book rehearsal, if I didn't book recording or buy merch or book shows, we would have never played anywhere. We would have yeah. never done anything. And it's frustrating. It's a commitment. Aside from respecting your own talent and everyone else's talent, you also have to respect their time. That's why I think a lot of bands don't get to that level. I've met many musicians who have extreme focus and they become successful. I've seen ones that are entitled who think that things should just be handed to them and they go nowhere and they wonder why it went wrong. My teacher would say, you get out of it what you put into it. You could be like the greatest guitar player in the world, technically. But if you can't write a song, you're going to have to have somebody write it for you if you're going to succeed. My old singer, four and a half years, he couldn't sing one song on time. We used to open with this song. And it's like, I would have to blank him out so I could keep the riff going on time with the drummer. Oh, well, that's the way I sing it. No, but it's wrong. No, it's right. No, it's not right. Uh, I hate it when they pull shit like that. Singer has the easiest job. They could practice any time. He could walk down the street with his headphones on just singing or uh, talking lyrics or whatever. If you have trouble, use a goddamn teleprompter. Ozzy gets away with it. (laughs) You know, and well, then he did do that when we played a show with Malevolent Creation and Blood Feast at uh, the Paper Box in Brooklyn. And I was happy about that because I've always been a fan of Blood Feast and my friend was in Malevolent Creation. We're standing there and we had this intro music and we would just stand there in the dark, you know, with the lights off. But no, he's on his fucking phone looking at lyrics, vaping, and then the whole thing vaping. Oops. No, no, I'm talking about when you're supposed <laughs> to on stage, but the vapes, the big, the, the robot dick, we called it. That he oh, the clock. The, the cloud puff. Yeah, okay. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and then he would do this stupid shit like, like this when I'm doing my leads. I'm like, don't do that next to me. What, what kind of shit is that? Stop, you know? And it wasn't but, fun when they used to do that back in the day either. I don't even know what the hell that means, but I, I didn't like it because I wanted yeah. to be serious. And you don't need me for sound check. I'm like, yeah, we do need you for sound check because we have to do a song. Why are we here so early? Because we have to sound check. Well, what are we going to do here after we sound check? We're going to hang out. Oh, I'm not staying for that band. They never they never come see us play. I'm not going to, I don't want to go here early. I don't yeah. want to, you know, that's what I put up with, like an idiot. So I, I can blame myself for that. I think your intentions were good. You don't deserve blame. Don't do that to yourself. I'm not a person that likes change very much. I figured like, all right, we're starting to make a little bit of ground, playing some shows, getting known. And now I get rid of him and get a start over, like with a new singer or whatever. We'll play this show and then we'll see what happens. And that. that couldn't take it no more. He says, yeah, you, you got to get lost. And tries to make it, oh, I was never good enough for you anyway. And So he's projecting I, his own lack of effort on you? Yeah. What the hell? I, I guess. I won't sing anymore. I won't rap it anymore. I won't do this anymore. I will don't if you're not going to practice yeah. <laughs> I never understood why some musicians feel like that. I just don't get it. If you have a talent, roll with it. Don't throw people under the bus with you. It's childish. It's amateur. Yeah. And like, that, that's what bothered me because I put up with it for so long. You know what I mean? I could have went a little further, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason. And I'm you're happy. here on the Music is Live podcast and he's not. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I consider myself a decent player. I'm, I'm never going to say I'm the best player that it can be because I could always get better. I love but, that mentality. Yeah. Because if you think you've done it all, you could sit there and you want everything handed to you, but you can't learn enough in, a, in two lifetimes on a guitar. I'll just try and play and become a better player, write more stuff and release whatever I can, you know, record whatever I can, play wherever I can. And 
people like it, that's fine. If not, then I still have it. It's mine. I did it. I'm looking forward to your future output. And I definitely want to check out your current output. There's one question I did not ask you. You mentioned Tony Iommi. He's one of my top seven. Who are your favorite guitar players? Who made you want to pick up the axe? In no particular order. Ingve Malmsteen, Jimi Hendrix, Eddie Van Halen, Chuck Schuldner, Richie Blackmore, Gary Moore, Paul Gilbert, Jason Richardson, Andy James, Joshua Stephanie. I'm surprised Tommy from Corner didn't make your list. He's definitely yeah, Tommy Barron, John Petrucci, Rick Graham. These guys are the machines, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I should have actually mentioned Tommy Barron because a lot of my writing actually is kind of coroner death type of mixture. You know, like I said, no particular order, but guys like Joshua Stephan, he plays like the gypsy acoustic stuff. Mm-hmm. My, my guitar teacher turned me on to him and I'm like, Jesus Christ, if this guy actually plugged in and did like metal or something everybody would be destroyed and (laughs) (laughs) guys like jason richardson he's phenomenal i don't know how he plays that fast or whatever but practice he does yeah you know all all these guys you know and some of these guys like i went to that john petrucci guitar thing he had for like a a week that master class program that he had yeah i went to the first one and he had Jason Richardson. He had Andy James. A bunch of guys there. Like, I met Andy James, and he was, was really cool. Jason Richardson was cool. John Petrucci was cool. They weren't assholes. Like, Ingve's an asshole. He's one of my favorite of all time, but everybody says he's an asshole. So I've heard. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't get it. Like, you know, how you shun fans when, if it wasn't for your fans, you wouldn't be where you are. Like, you could be the best band in the world. Nobody listens to you or buys your stuff. You're not going to be famous. Tunnel vision. I mean, Ingve is one of those guitar players who I think he's worthy of the praise that he gets, but equal to the praise is the size of his ego. Aside from Randy, who definitely brought a classical approach to metal music, Ingve gets the credit for being the guy who pretty much jump-started the neoclassical genre. So in his mind, he thinks he's Bach and Paganini. He probably holds himself to the same standard that a lot of other classically trained musicians probably hold Mozart and Beethoven. And he's completely entitled to feel that way. As he claims, he was one of the first guitar players to have his own signature Fender, and he's still doing it today. People either love him or hate him. There's no like, oh, he's good or whatever. People say, oh, he's robotic. He has no feeling. He has no this. He has no that. I think he's an amazing guitar player. And for what he does, nobody could do better than him. I'll agree with you on that. There are guys that, you know, I'm sure there were things that he can't do that other people could do better. But for like, nobody can out Ingve Ingve. Yeah. That's, you know, there's so many players out there. Like I, I could sit here all day and list players that, that were big influences uh, or Elliot Easton from the cars. I love that band. Tom Schultz from Boston, Barry Goodrow from Boston. All these guys, you listen to them and you get inspired to practice more. Also, if you look at people who you're influenced by and look at who their influences are, listen to them. Those guys broaden your horizons more because a lot of these guys will listen to like old blues guys or old rock and roll guys. And with that, incorporate both of those styles and develop one of their own. Yeah. 
out, you know? Take all their influences and throw it in a blender. That's how I discovered Alan Holdsworth and Frank Marino. I heard other people refer to them as an influence. And I said, all right, let me check them out. And ever since I heard Wardenclyffe Tower from Alan Holdsworth, I haven't been able to put it down. And that CD is 29 years old at this point. It's become one of my favorite albums. And, you know, Frank Marino, believe it or not, it wasn't until I saw Down, Phil's band after Pantera in concert when they had a 30 minute video montage of like their favorite artists. And it was Frank Marino covering all on the Watchtower. And here he was killing this SG. Look at Steve Vai, too, another fantastic player. Amazing. Joe Satriani is a, a great player, but I'm not much of a fan of the music he writes. But ability-wise, he's he's phenomenal. And you know, you I like be completely objective on that. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I prefer Steve Vai over Satriani, but I, and I believe Vai took lessons from Satriani, if I'm not mistaken. Just a lot like, of guys took lessons from Satriani, not just Vi. It was also I, Alex Skolnick. Yeah, Alex Skolnick, too. Nicest guy in the world. Great dude. Phenomenal player. He's great, and he's a, he's a nice guy. One of my friends took lessons from him. He plays hard rock. He, he's a good player. And it's funny because I told him, I was like, oh, Alex Skolnick was at, he was at one of the Maniac Rise shows. He, he was in the crowd for a while, and then I met him a couple of times, and he's a really nice guy. But, oh, I took lessons from him. So he said, how'd that work out for you? They go, fuck you. (laughs) Well, not many people are going to play as well as Alex Skolnick. No, his his jazz stuff is phenomenal. And I feel like the stuff that he's put out with Testament since he came back to the band is, I forgive me for saying this, better than the the stuff they put out in the 80s. And I love the stuff they put out in the 80s. But I feel like from the gathering on, it's just been like this upward trajectory of like the, the best output they have. Just my opinion. Who else? You know who else is a fantastic player? And he's cool as shit, too. James Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. James Murphy. He took Skolnick's place in Testament. So you you, you have to... You can't be a slouch you, and replace Skolnick yeah, in Testament. You have, to, you have to be able to play. And his work alone on low is fantastic. And, you know, he was like the, the death metal go-to guy. Death, cancer, disincarnate, obituary. The list is so much. And his own instrumental stuff. And, like, just on... Spiritual healing, the way he goes back and forth with Chuck Schulden with leads is fantastic. I respect these guys so much. You know, it, it's weird how you start listening to people and then all of a sudden you're writing songs like, I want to sound like this, I want to sound like that. And the influence they have on you is unbelievable. Once you hear the finished product and you say, wow, it sounds like this, it sounds like that. Some people could say, oh, well, you ripped them off or whatever. No, it's an influence. You know, yeah. ripping them off would be playing a riff note for note. Exactly. I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking influence from it. Like I mentioned Holdsworth, it's broadened my horizons to say, you know, like I'm trying to like, write stuff in completely odd chord structures and then somehow out of nowhere like i'll throw a groove in there and like my friend jay crawford who is you know a drummer that i um collaborate with often he's like oh how'd you go from that mashuga influence to that seven dust influence like that i'm like i I didn't even think about it it just happened some of the riffs i write you hear like wow that sounds very death or that, wow, that sounds like Karina, or my instrumental speak and be heard, like, oh, sounds like Ingve. I kind of was going for certain things. You know, you, you kind of say, well, I'm going to write a song, but I want it to be this type of influence or this type of direction. You kind of just mess around and say like, oh, would this sound good here? Would it move it here? And by having a, a mindset of what you're going to play, it's good to build off of that. Because if you go into something blind then you might not get your full potential out of the song. You know what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. Sometimes, 
write your best shit on the whim. You never know. Always try and record something when you Yeah, I try to find time to be on GarageBand as often as I can just so I can record something because, you know, two hours of music, I might find something in there, 30 seconds worth, that might be worthy of having it grow on. What I used to do, I used to write things down. I'd write it in tablets. Just, but then... You go oh, back that's to a, commitment. Yeah. And you go back to it two weeks later and you're like, what's the phrasing on this now? <laughs> so I would write slow ride and then speed up this or whatever. It's, I'm old school. I don't really have any recording shit, but GarageBand, I, I haven't really utilized it. Oh, I have a audio recorder on my phone. I'll write, I'll record a couple of riffs here and there just so I have them. It's good because you get it in real time. So you write it down. You don't know how it's being played. Cool. I really want to thank you for taking time out of your night to talk with me, Rob. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you. I feel like it's good when you have people that you could bring onto a platform like this and just discuss different ideas. And I feel like with everything that we discussed, there was a great period of catharsis in there. There was getting things off our chest that need to be said and i'm very appreciative of the passion that you have for what you do and like i said i'm really glad that i have this platform for you to come and share it with before we wrap up where can people find you (laughs) on social media on the internet (laughs) on facebook it's rob castoria on instagram it's official big rob shreds and i think that's about it but uh i do offer guitar lessons the email is guitar lessons nyc1 at gmail.com and if you search guitar lessons ozone park you'll see my site on there and also if you want to hear some maniac rise stuff there's reverb nation maniac rise and also on soundcloud big rob 919 is my handle you could look up maniac rise i have some songs on there even have a hair metal song that i did with my friend tommy from kill code sang on it also if you search youtube big rob empire big rob shreds maniac rise marauder there's footage from Japan and other shows we've done. And I'm easy to find. If you want to see that video, you said the Binghamton concert. Yeah. Oh, and a maniac rise time is mine. You'll see the video. Yes. You know, everybody could share and like or whatever. I have no problem with it. I'll have links to your sites down below as well, as well as the Marauder pages and stuff too. Okay. Yeah. And I'll keep everybody posted on, you know, new music from Marauder and any shows that come up, any tours. And if anybody needs a guest guitar player on their songs or leads written, let me know. I'll do it. Awesome. Rob Castoria, Big Rob, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Early had a blast. Thanks a lot, Lou. I appreciate you having me. No problem. To find out more about the Music is Life podcast, check out musicislifepodcast.com. Also check out ratsalreview.com, which is our parent network. And check out the other shows on the Ratsal Review Network including the Mothership flagship show with me, Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle, Ratsaw Review. Also check out Beyond Bushido, our pro wrestling MMA podcast. Check out Suck My Balls, the South Park podcast. And I just wanted to get your reaction to that. People seem to like that one. (laughs) Also check out the Vieira Vault with Ralph Vieira, a.k.a. Dr. Fuck from Thrash or Die and Combat. And also check out Old Man Metals Musings. God, that's a tongue twister, that one. If you want to know where to find me, you could just go on the dot com and check me out there. Thanks for tuning into the show tonight. And Rob, once again, salute. Good, sir. Thank you. You have a good night. Cheers. Remember, all art is valid.
Thank you so much for listening to the Music is Life podcast. Music is Life podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm and RatsaReview.com. Check out the other shows on Ratsa Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man's Metal Musings, The Right Opinion, Suck My Balls, a South Park podcast, The Vieira Vault, and the Team Tolki podcast. Graphics for the video portion of the show were done by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find him on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by the Rebel Media, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leug, and myself. If you'd like to donate to the channel, or if you're in a band and you want me to review you, then donate to my PayPal at musicislivepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle, with much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, including where to find me on social media, check out musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, Rat Sound Review Network has plenty of shows to choose from. Like Rat Sound Review, where they discuss the latest rock and metal news, as well as interviews and albums. Album vs. Album, the King Diamond Podcast, with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and sometimes this guy. Smack him a gob! Ralph Vieira is also on our network with the Vieira Vault. There's also Old Man Metal's Musings, where he discusses heavy metal and beer. Music is Life with Lou Mavs. The Right Opinion for Those Who Love Politics, a South Park podcast called Suck My Balls, The Infinite Fringe, a watch-along wrestling show called Beyond Bushido, Extradivarius Guitarist, The Timo Tolki Podcast, and The Great Harry Barnett with I Don't Even Like Podcast and The Laugh Cast. So check out RatsoundReview.com or search Review on YouTube, Podbean, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. 